Welcome to Let Me Introduce Myself. My name is Sekou Lalo. And I'm Maxine Paul. And we are pulling back the layers of Black male humanity to look at what's true, what's authentic, what's deep. Co-creating space for Black men to explore their humanity, Blackness, maleness, and everything in between to fully introduce themselves. Hey, beautiful people, come share with us today as we spend some time drawing from the life and wisdom of Peter J. Fernandez, an actor, journeyman, and educator who anchors his life in family and faith. He discusses the lessons learned from childhood and the importance of knowing who you are in a world designed to make you forget. Come share space. Let me introduce myself. So welcome to Let Me Introduce Myself, where we are pulling back the layers of Black manhood to get to what's authentic, what's real, and what's honest. And we have the pleasure, the honor of welcoming Peter J. Fernandez today. And Peter J., we just like to start by letting you do the honors of introducing yourself. So in your own words, introduce yourself. Okay, I'm... um... Black Portuguese man in this world. I'm an actor and an educator. I'm a husband. I'm an uncle, a godfather, a spiritual brother, I would say, and spiritual uh, father to a number of people out here navigating this space that we're living in right now. I'll soon be, well, I guess I won't say how old I am. My wife might not like that, but I'm heading into the older ages now and enjoying what wisdom I have and also grasping the fact that I have so much more to learn and experience and hoping that God will give me the time to do all of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That makes sense? Well seasoned, I would say. (laughs) Yes. Thank you. That's what we're going to go with. Yeah. I'm not overcooked, but I'm well seasoned. (laughs) That's right. I know. I only know a little bit of Portuguese. Listen, you probably know a little bit more than me. Uh, I speak more Spanish than I do Portuguese. My people are converting. Me, you know, I know more Spanish than Portuguese, but I was in Sao Paulo in January. So I had to learn real quick on the flight. Wow. And when wow. I was there, I was like, let me see what I can do. Well, my folks are from the Cape Verde Islands, okay. and they speak a Creole that's different from the Portuguese they speak in in Brazil, per se, but I learned all the bad words and the dirty words and the, and the commands when I was a kid, some of which I all. Yeah, and my, and my Portuguese story is I went to Brazil in 1992, and we had to learn Portuguese songs, so I, I knew more songs than I knew actual language, mm-hmm. um, but I forgot it all. Well, it's <laughs> a beautiful left. language. It is. It it's is a beautiful language. It is. Maxine. Yes. So I think another real, you know, I think important thing for us in this podcast is to ask how you're feeling. And not just how you're feeling, you know, in a general sense and the you know, you ask somebody, you don't really act, care about the answer. We're saying, how are you really feeling today? Because we want to know. Yeah. Full. Maybe overfull. It's funny, I talked with my wife last night and she's a night bird, she's a night owl, but even for her, she's not been sleeping a lot lately. And I tend to be a light sleeper anyway, but even more so lately. And part of it is because my head is just full. My heart and my spirit are full too, but there's a lot going on right now to process. And I feel like I'm being 
pulled forward and pushed back, pulled forward and pushed back all day, even though I'm basically sitting in my house and not doing much of anything. I try and get some exercise, but I've spent more time in my home probably than I have in the last five years, in the last three months. And it's bizarre because I'm stationary, yet I feel like I'm moving all the time, physically and mentally. And I think it's all tied into processing what's going on in the world right now. You know, this racial reckoning that we're dealing with and this pandemic that just seems to be running amok and living in a country with leadership that just seems rudderless and totally ego-driven at a time when almost anybody could say, wait a minute, let's do this and let's all get on the same page. But that doesn't seem to be the case. So we're all kind of out here swimming on our own. Now, thankfully, I know who's really in control and, you know, I'm a believer. So I know that at the end of the day, God's got this. But what we're swimming through right now is pretty deep. And um, I'm just trying to process what we're supposed to take away from this and then how I'm supposed to put whatever that is into some kind of positive action moving forward. So that's where I am, you know? Great. A lot of weight. Great. Thanks. Thanks for sharing that. And I'm, I'm probably going to come back, circle back a little bit later because I want to maybe unpack that full part a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're going to stay right there for now. And I'll, I'll ask this question, being the seasoned man that you are, what is it that makes you who you are? And you can talk about that as in much detail as you see fit. Family. I come from a big family, six kids, two loving parents, one who passed very early. But um, a strong family surrounding my mother. She had brothers and sisters and large extended family. So we were a bit of a clan. Again, I grew up this black Cape Verdean kid in New England in a largely white town, though there were a number of us. But even given that, my family, my parents, my uncles and aunts, my cousins, all sowed a sense of solidarity and purpose and self in each other. So I always knew who I was, you know? I always knew who, who I was in the family and I knew how society viewed me. It's really interesting. I'm dealing with, as an educator right now, I'm dealing with, oh God, so many other educators of our lighter brethren who are burning up my phone lines and my Zoom meetings with, what do I do? Help me, brother. How do I relate? You know, help me with material. What are we going to do? And, you know, I'm tempted to go, no, what are you going to do? But yes, we is the word. So it's we, not me. And I believe that I can have that perspective because I've always known who I am in this world that we're living in. They don't know who I am. Many of them don't. So now I'm in the process of educating them. I said to one of them the other day, I said, I've known you since I was six years old, first grade, but you're just getting to know me now at 60 whatever. The other side of that is I don't think I really, really began to understand myself fully until I came into closer contact with my God. And that didn't happen until my late 30s, early 40s, which is more than 20 years ago now. I think that's the other part in terms of knowing who I am in the world, who I am in society, who I am in the midst of our family, 
who I am in the family of God, which I'm finding is a great anchor at this time. And it's helping me in my profession and in my personal life. I'm not sure I'd still be acting and even teaching if I hadn't come to that realization a while back. Certainly not, not with the level of satisfaction and challenge that I have now. So I guess that's who I am. Yeah. Good, and of course, good. marrying my wife added the, the missing part. Because <laughs> she <laughs> made clear who I am and who I'm not, you know? <laughs> she will always remind you of that, right? Yes, yes, brother. I want to dig a little bit deeper there because you said two very distinct and very interesting things. You said, I've always known who I was. Mm-hmm. And then you had your experience in your late 20s and your 30s where there was another level or another layer to this identity that kind of revealed to you more of who you are. Say a little bit more about I've always known who I was because that's a very, that's not necessarily a given. A a lot of us, even earlier on, we're trying to figure that out. Sure. And we spend years, even before we get to the God part, trying to figure out who we are. Mm-hmm. We are. Mm-hmm. So just say a little bit more about what that construction looks like. Sure. Um, well, again, I think that goes back to family. Mm-hmm. In the larger conversation, the, the discombobulation, the frustration and anxiety um, that's running the violence in the streets right now, a lot of that is because these young people don't know who they are and they don't know who they are or how they fit into this world because they weren't oriented, they weren't taught early on. And there are lots of reasons for that. I was blessed. Again, as I said, my father died when I was young, but I was blessed to have family who very early on spoke truths to me, which is, listen, you are a young man in this world and you can do anything, but do know that there are forces aligned against you. Yes. And a lot of that has to do with how you look and how you talk, where you come from. Racism exists in this society. That doesn't mean that that's a wall you can't get over. It doesn't mean that that's a, a bag you carry with you every day as a truncheon. It doesn't mean that that's something you use as an excuse. But at your peril, you'll deny it. You'll miss it. So we always want you to know, you're a little black boy, right? Um, now, among Latino, uh, not Latinos, but Cape Verdeans, because there is a difference. It's really interesting. As you brothers of color know, There's a lot of interesting things that go on between the shades of us, yes? Darkness denotes one thing for one person, lightness something else for someone else, the grade of your hair, all of that stuff. Well, it exists among Cape Verdeans too. And there are Cape Verdeans who are convinced that they are members of the the golf club, the tennis club, if you know what I mean. They're members of that. And I always knew early on, look, you'll be invited to go play there but you're not a member. And that has to do with how you look, right? What people perceive about you by how you look and where you come from. So I always knew as a young person that, look, there are forces arrayed against you, but it's your job to circumvent them. And when you can, to, how do I say it? Um, mute that, the, the power of those forces. And you can do that in a number of ways. And we prefer you do it in productive ways. And that's by developing the inner man. Who are you as a human being? What kind of heart do you have? How generous are you? Also, there are so many gifts in the world that you will lose if you carry this anger with you. 
So know that there's a difference in other people's eyes. And now we just want you to grapple with that in a positive way. So when I say I always knew who, I knew who my first grade teacher was when he started throwing the word black around and bringing up black images and kind of in an offhanded way, singling out the kid of color in the room. Well, I wasn't heartbroken and I wasn't surprised because I already knew that that existed. So when I got to college and was the odd looking black kid, is he Latino? Is he black? What is he? He wears overalls, he got a big old afro, and he carries a briefcase, and he got big glasses. Who is he? What kind of black man are you? Do we want to invite him to the party? Well, some of them I didn't get invited to. Some of them I did, but you know what? I never had a problem because I knew who I was. I knew who I was. And meeting the Lord gave me a much deeper sense of who I am in the universe that he created. And also, not just who I am, but what I'm supposed to be about in the world that I'm in. Yeah? Does that make sense? Good stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. In a lot of this work, I think you started some of it in, in, you know, in this podcast, we really want to put you at the center Mm -hmm. because we don't do that a lot. And, and how we do that is to look at the different roles that we play. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me a little bit more about the roles you play and why and how those impact you? Yeah. Well, I'm an educator. And if you're an educator you're, and you care about the education that you're presenting, you become a bit of a parent. So I would say I'm a parent. Now, my wife and I don't have any blood children, but God knows we got many children. I spent an hour and a half on the phone last night with one of my older children who happens to be in his 50s. He calls me his spiritual dad. And he's a street evangelist and a chaplain. And he's out here in the middle of all of this madness right now. He called me because I knew he needed to vent, which he does periodically. I really listened to his heart because he, he said, you know, I had to call 20 different families and tell them that their kids did not survive coming from the hospital. To him, I'm a father. To many of my students, I'm a father. We're out of classes right now. We won't pick up again until the fall. And in what What form that will be, we still don't know. Probably most of it will be online. But I've been in contact with a lot of my students simply because I want to stay in contact and they want to stay in touch with me. I'm fathering them. I'm doing what other people did for me. I guess mentorship is part of that. There's so many holes I could have stepped into. So many times I could have got sideswiped by life, by the business, by a million other things. And I didn't because somebody else had put their arm around me and stepped to me early on and said, look, I see something in you. Let me hip you to this. Let me pull your coattail about that. That always stuck with me. And so it made sense when it started happening to me, people coming to me and saying, listen, I know we're talking about such and such, but what do you think about this? And if I had to do such and such, what's your, what's your advice? So fathership is something that I'm finding surrounding me a lot these days on many levels and i enjoy it i didn't always but i enjoy it you know part of the reason why i didn't was you always say well i'm not worthy what do i have to say that that, that's going to be helpful to you but you find if you make the effort there's always something there there's always something if you make the effort if you just take a step forward and i find those relationships are not only helpful for the other person 
they're energizing for me and they're part of what keep my spirit young. Some of my contemporaries at this age are now all talking about retirement and I'm certainly old enough to retire, but I don't plan to. And okay, and we're going to sell the house and we're going to go sit on a beach and, you know, I've got a funeral plot and I've laid the land out and they're talking about the end. Now, listen, tomorrow could be the end, but these relationships in my life are keeping me younger. My mind is staying active. My heart and my spirit are staying active because I'm invested in younger people who feel they need something from me. And there's always a, a sharing there. I find that very, what's the word? It's humbling, it's encouraging, and it's soothing at the end of the day. And again, that I believe is lined up with what God wants us all to do. Yeah. I, I wonder in terms of struggles, mm -hmm. right? And um, certainly, you know, we've had different guests on the show from different generations, mm -hmm. you know, and there is kind of a theme around the struggles depending on what that generation is. Mm -hmm. And so I know that when you grow older, you begin to see things differently yeah. and everything is certainly not black and white. <laughs> you know, things is, is much more gray than black and white, right? It's funny you say that because that's one of the phrases I use in all of my acting classes. Mm, mm. I said in terms of the work that we do, the stories that we tell, the scripts that we explore, the playwrights that we present, I'm always looking for a different way in. Something I always say, what complicates the playing? Life is not black and white. And what's interesting is the friction that happens how we rub up against each other, yes? Where we're connected and where we're not connected is much more interesting than, okay, one person is one thing and one person is another. We're very complex people. For me, I think the best of art explores that complexity. Gray is not something that isn't attractive. I'd rather live in the gray than live in the black and white. Hmm. In which ways do you negotiate life struggles acknowledging that the gray area is, is the place that you want, kind of want to live. So how do you negotiate that in a way that you may have not, may haven't maybe 30 years ago? Well, I think learning not to judge people in situations is a benefit of being older at this point in time. Even though I may have strong opinions about something based on experience, you don't know until you know. You don't know the person in front of you until you know the person in front of you. And I don't care how many times you've been in a situation, there's always an opportunity for it to go sideways. And sometimes there's a really good reason for it to go sideways. So I give space for the gray and also give credence to the experience that I have now. Chances are this is the situation I'm in and these are the two outcomes that could come. But I always give space for the unknown. One of your former teachers and one of my mentors would always say, possibility over probability. I use that all the time in my teaching too. Okay, we know what the probable outcome is, but what's possibly not that? What is the possibility in this, in this situation? What could manifest itself in ways nobody expected? Yeah? Hmm. So I don't know if any of that makes sense. <laughs> it does, it does, certainly. I understand all of that language, I'm clear. Oh, I should also add, as someone of my age, my generation, grappling with the internet, 
and its manifestations and its influences is huge. And you have a choice. You can kind of avoid it, like some people I do. I don't do social media, but everybody I'm connected with does. So I hear things. But it's, it's the young people that I come in contact with. And when I say young, anybody who's 40 and under, you might even raise that number up, their whole approach to the world comes out of that, yes? Which I find can be a tremendous advantage and a, and a tremendous um, disadvantage too. It continually amazes me, but I'm finding the older I get, the more I need to deal with it because this is the future. It's not going anywhere, yes? And those who consume that are who I come in contact with every day. So I'm learning to negotiate it a little more than I thought I would, but it's much different from my generation. I was telling one of my students yesterday, I said, you gotta understand, when I was starting in the business, and she's about to graduate in a year and a half, a grad student, so she'll be out here actually hustling. I said, we didn't have these things, yeah? I said, we would stop at a phone booth on the street, and you would call your service to see if your agent had left a message. You didn't call your agent, you called your service. And you knew somebody in there, oh, Larry, did I get a call from my agent today? Right. Yes. And in some ways, I really wish for that time again, because it was a different kind of anxiety. This generation has so much on their plate, they don't have time to rest. Everything is directly in front of them. Possibility is all over the place. It's too much. They have a hard time focusing because they're overstimulated, especially young people. And they always come into class and they, they want to let you know who they are, right? This is who I am. This is what I want to do. And sometimes they do know. And more often, more often than not, they don't really know who they are. But if you ask them what's the basis of that knowledge, sometimes it comes from family and history. Some of them really study. But a lot of them, it's what they read on the Internet. I said, so whoever you're following, their opinion about you is who you are. You do know that most of the people online are not experts. They got 19 million opinions. And how well do they know you? So that mindset fascinates me. At the same time, we can do this. We couldn't do this when I was coming up. The way you can connect and, 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 and share with each other is mind-boggling. Their resources for, for the work they want to do are incredible. But by the same token, there's so much out there. And some of it's really toxic. How do you negotiate that? And some I find are pretty savvy at it and a lot aren't. And it can have a really deleterious effect. Even my fellow Christians, you know, <laughs> some of us like, will you get off of Facebook? <laughs> I do stay on Facebook. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's and I get it. I it's get it. it. It can really be helpful. But I said, how many hours do you actually spend online? And who are you listening to? For sure. Yeah, that's a big thing I think about a lot, too. <laughs> Plus, you know what? You, you work hard to develop a set of principles, a way of living, a philosophy of life. Mm -hmm. And if you spend too much time on that thing, listening to other people tear that down, you start questioning yourself. You start making adjustments. You start missing the mark. And you'll say, why is that? Well, you know, anything you 
you immerse yourself in is going to become a part of you. And that thing there, just as it can be wonderful, it can really tear you down. It can break you up, confuse you. So, mm -hmm. and we're all human. So I try mm -hmm. to be careful with all of that. I was telling a kid the other day, when I was coming up, you had the reviews in the newspaper and that was it. If you didn't read the reviews, you were fine. Or if you did, next week they were gone, you move on. But now everybody's a critic. And if you're online, even if you're trying to avoid it, somebody's talking about somebody on Facebook, on Instagram, wherever. I said, you got to be really careful about that because you, will, you can develop a very sideways opinion about yourself and your work based on someone else's observations. And they're not experts. They may be, have an axe to grind today. And so you're bearing the negative end of that. So it's tricky. You know, I, I pray for them a lot because it's challenging. Slippery slope. Yeah. I think it's, this is an interesting question because as a more seasoned person, I know you've had dreams. I like the way you say that. A more seasoned person. I like this. That's right. That's right. Yeah. That's, I mean, I start, I use that all the time. <laughs> but, mm -hmm. but, you know, you've had dreams. You know, you had dreams when you're younger. You have dreams now. They adapt and grow as you, as you learn more. Do you think they're, are dreams you've had that have been hindered because you are a black man? Yeah. Hindered is. Hinders is the word. Not quashed or extinguished. Hindered. Yes, absolutely. We're in the midst of dealing with that now. And I pray that we're actually going to dismantle this system. But that's a huge, huge undertaking. And there's a lot of pain and adjustment that's involved in that. And a lot of that pain and adjustment is for our lighter brethren. And I'm not sure that they're willing to actually do that. I've been at this moment before. You know, I lived through the 60s um, and the 70s. But that said, again, because I knew who I was, I think, I said, okay, there's an obstacle there. I'll find a way around it. Or I'll find a way through it. As opposed to being defeated by it. But are there doors that were closed? Absolutely. And some of them, you know, I learned early on, okay, if you can't get in the front door, there might be a window on the side open. You might come up through the basement. As long as you get in the room and do what you got to do and you're prepared, you'll be all right. But yes, there were doors closed in my face. There, there are those doors closed now. Well, Sekou, you know this. Once you decide that, okay, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm not going to hide it. There's some doors that close. Now, at this point, I don't care. I also know that God can open any door, and I've seen him do it a million times. But when I was younger, I didn't have that knowledge, and it would set me back for a while. But I don't say that my dreams were quashed. Now, some of the dreams I had, well, that's what, it was just supposed to be a dream. You know, you don't achieve all of your dreams, and that's okay. That's part of, of being seasoned. You learn, well, that wasn't the dream that was supposed to be, and that's okay. I'm okay with that. But yeah, certainly a few dreams were hindered by my being a black person and being vocal about it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I, I want to ask one more thing because I think it was interesting that you, you spoke about, you know, your dreams being hindered, mm -hmm. but and 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 you being in the other time that we've been in this situation, 
how is this time, you know, this current time that we're in, this transition period, that's what I'm calling it, how is this different or the same than the 60s or 70s? Well, the amount of injustice is still the same. The systemic racism is the same. It was there then, it is here now. I think the difference is the energy of the protest. It's centered in young people who, I got to say, I was, I'm pleasantly surprised. I don't know if that's the truth. I was hopeful, but that they're staying the course. Somewhere down the line, they've digested the idea that this is going to take time and effort and specificity. Not that we didn't have that in the 60s, but I think we did what we had to do and we thought, okay, that's going to be enough. It's going to change. And there was some change and then it went backward. So we have history to build on. And these young people, if they didn't know their history before, they're certainly consuming it at a rapid pace now. And they're saying, wait a minute. No, that's not enough. And this is all lovely, the conversations we're having right now and all of the corporations and theaters and artistic institutions giving these wonderful speeches about we embrace blackness and we're going to do all of these wonderful things. Well, the proof is in the pudding. And uh, I, somehow I feel that this generation knows that. You can't pull the okie doke on them. It's a little frustrating for someone my age in that in the time of COVID, I can't be out on the streets with them like I would like to be. So I'm helping in whatever, whatever other ways I can. But this, I think, is different. And I'm hoping it's going to last. Yeah? Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So in light, in light of the distinctions between the... Um, also, the, uh, l- l- yeah. we had Go some crazy it. politicians back then, but nothing like what we have right now. <laughs> I mean... So you, would, you wouldn't equate Bill, Bull Connor to... Well, well yeah, if but I, he wasn't running the country. He wasn't president. Right, right, right. Gotcha. I mean, this man ha- has incredible power and he has no brain. He has a massive ego. And I don't think there's anyone more sensitive in the world. And he has to be, I don't know, I don't want to get on him, but he's soulless. He has no soul. And that scares me. That's, that's, that's yeah. a good segue. <laughs> and I, and well, since we gave you, season i would give him fragile at the, at yeah. the very least yes very um we'll tag him with that as one of his titles but in, in light of you she kind of sharing your thoughts about him mm-hmm. what what are some of the things that you hold in and don't say that you really want to say but for whatever reason you don't say it and, th- and this could be anger. This is what you really want to say about somebody or something. Mm-hmm. What are one of those things or some of those things? Wow. Well, what I just said, that he's soulless, that's, that's an indictment. To say someone has no soul. And I'm not sure I even should say that. Because I believe we all have a soul and and... I would like to see him be redeemed in some way. But that's one of the things that uh, I have to be careful that comes out of my mouth. And he's one of the few people that that's actually come out of my mouth from. And I mean, I don't know him personally, but because he is such a public person, 
because we see him all the time, I find myself making judgments about him. And I don't like to make judgments about anybody because they'll, people will always surprise you. But that one, I see it day in and day out and day in and day out. He's given a chance every day to do one good thing, to take one step that's not about himself, to extend something to somebody else that isn't attached to him. And I don't see it happening. And that's really scary to me. I can only think that he has a lonely existence, a truly lonely existence. If there's anybody who needed God, that's him. And, and that's one of the reasons why I say more about him than I should, because he claims that he knows God. He doesn't have a clue. Come on, how can you, how, how can you gas, gas, tear gas protesters so that you can walk to a church, stand in front of the church with the Bible upside down. I mean, come on. I think that upside down resonates. There's something to that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't like to call people stupid. I always look at a situation and say, that's stupid. If you've ever had someone say that about you, that's not a good word. And it's often based on feelings in the moment rather than true observation. I don't think anybody's really stupid. Uh, we just talked about someone who might be, but you know, I don't like to use that word. Stupid. Anything that's going to extinguish someone's spirit, I think is, is bad. And I've had to stop myself a couple of times. You know, out of anger, you say things, but that's one of the things as an older person now too, I realize, wait a minute, go back. What were the moments when you were crushed? If you've been crushed, you don't want to crush anybody else. That's a hard feeling. It's a hard thing to come back from. So I try and avoid that. Words have power. Yeah, man. Lots of yeah. power. Truly. Before I even ask my next question, I have something that relates to what you said. So I've, you know, I've been thinking about this and I'm trying to evolve past name calling and, you know, being upset. And I was listening to Reverend Dr. Warner. Warnock. Yeah, Warnock. Let me let me get the actual name because I want to make sure that it, it is him. Is it Raphael Warnock here? This here? No, not here. Oh, okay. No, Reverend Doctor William Barber. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. And he said, you know this. You know this president isn't. He he's he's severely broken. But it's not about him. He is just emblematic of what we've done wrong in our society. He just said a manifestation of, of the brokenness of our society and what we've lost. He's just an emblem. Well, that's, that's a good way of, it's kind of a good way of, of sizing things up. It's really interesting. I listen to some of our Christian leaders, and most of them are lighter brethren. And they're saying, well, you know, God sent Donald Trump. He sent him to save us. And I'm saying, well, we agree halfway. He sent him, absolutely. But he sent him to reveal how messed up we really are, how far we've fallen away, how much we've let go of the things that are important and grabbed onto the things that are destructive. I think it's very clear. And the longer he's in office, the clearer that is. God's obviously allowed these double pandemics as a backdrop but man, if you can't see what it says about us by looking at him in the midst of all of this, then 
you're really blind. So in that sense, it's true. Yeah, he's broken, but we got a lot of problems in this country. It's very fractured right now. I mean, look at all this stuff online. These people having mask burning parties and then just assaulting people in stores because you asked them to wear a mask. And then all these racial incidents, um, again, with our lighter brethren just losing their minds. I mean, melting down on the spot. It just makes it clear how deep this rift is. So, I mean, it never went away. I think we patched it over pretty good, but man, it's wide open now, which I think is part of what helps those young people who are protesting now to realize that, look, this is not a simple thing we're talking about here. This is not a simple thing we're going to fix just by talking about it and making simple gestures. This is being in a room with each other and having some low-down conversations and then putting each other to the test on a regular basis. So I say this, there's, a, there's some pain coming here. I hope it's not a lot of blood, but there's a lot of spiritual, emotional, and psychic blood that's going to be shed before we make any kind of real shift. And I think the Lord is looking at all of that and saying, yeah, y'all got work to do. I made you that way. I could fix all this in an instant, but that's not what it's about. I want it done through my people. So what kind of people are you going to be? Yeah, I guess that's another reason just in terms of 45, why we got to be careful about the calling of names as much as we want to, because we have to also acknowledge the fact that we are culpable in some way. If we, well, you yeah. know, Because we are, we're also looking at ourselves, even if it's not all of him, it's some of him is us. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and so with all of this is going on and I, I know Maxime and I are have our own ways of kind of like addressing some of this pandemic um, of pandemics and, 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 and just in terms of how we take care of ourselves. You touched on this a little bit earlier, Peter J, but if you could say a little bit more about any anxiety you're experiencing and what kind of what kind of needs do you have at this time that you think that could support you kind of being your best self oh wow my anxiety has a lot to do with what's going on around me right now the pandemic in one instance obviously the the virus i would really like to be in closer touch with my family for instance my godfather uncle passed away a couple of weeks ago and I couldn't go. I mean, I could have. And his daughter had some big events in the backyard, no masks, lots of alcohol, lots of family. And his wife really didn't want to deal with that. This is his second wife. She wore a mask, came, said hello to everybody, left. He wanted to be cremated, all of that. I couldn't be there for that gathering that families have. I could have, but I don't think it was wise. And that gives me anxiety for myself and for my wife and for the rest of them. With this virus, we don't know who has it and who's passing it. You can be asymptomatic and infect a whole room full of people. I don't want to do that to anybody. And I don't think my wife or myself's years are over yet, our productive years. So unless the Lord says, look, okay, I'm calling you back, which he could do before this is over. 
But unless he says that, I'm not going to go just jump out there. So those kinds of things give me anxiety. I miss that kind of contact. So I'm having to trust other ways to do it. And I'm really concerned about the violence that's happened in the last couple of weeks, particularly here in Harlem, here in New York, over 100 shootings in the last week and 45 deaths. Violence was down and it's coming back up again. And I think there are a lot of reasons for it, but that gives me a lot of anxiety. So I'm trying to stay as connected as I can and help wherever I can. It was a blessing to talk with my spiritual son last night because he is a direct conduit to the streets. And he's one of those guys who's really rough around the edges. He gets on people's nerves, but he has an anointing for young people, especially young people in distress, like I've almost never seen. So I'm trying to connect with him and find ways that I can be of some kind of help out there. And sometimes it's just getting on your knees and praying. I mean, if you believe in prayer, yes, it can move mountains. So I'm doing that to relieve my stress. But it's, it's, I'm a, a touchy-feely kind of person. I like contact and not being able to do that has given me some anxiety, but I'm rethinking that. And as much as I am Zoom fatigued, I'm using that too, yeah? I'm doing whatever I can. I think, I can't speak for my wife, but part of this, this um, quarantining time for a little while, we just kind of, there was so much going on that we just kind of hibernated, kind of went to sleep. But I'm awake now, so what am I going to do? You know, I'm trying to figure that out. I'm starting to put a list down here and saying, what else can I do? Yeah, that sounds like, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, some of the stuff that you're full of. Because we were talking about being full. You were talking mm-hmm. about being full earlier. Mm-hmm. And that sounds like that. It's at least some of that, right? Yeah, I would agree. First of all, I'm going to ask you a a yes or no question, and then we have a question after that. Okay. Do you believe you're free? Yes. And then what does freedom look like to you? Sound like, feel like, all that, yeah. Wow. Freedom is the ability to touch and be touched. And I feel I'm free. In that sense, I can touch and be touched. Even in the midst of all of this, there's still a way. It's happening right now. Yeah. And I'll ask this, you know, everybody kind of has their own vision of, and some people don't even have a vision of, of what it's going to look like coming out of COVID, when it's going to happen, Mm -hmm. what, what will stay and what will we, we will leave behind. In light of, of this and, and the fact that it's, it's getting worse. I mean, this week, we, we got several days where there are record cases of infections and even deaths. And so it looks like this is going to be prolonged more than we expected. In light of all of that, what do you feel like this world will look like when we come out of this COVID-19 pandemic and even the unrest, the social unrest? I think it's going to be smaller. The world is going to be smaller. And I don't think that's a bad thing. We're going to have to take more time with everything. And I mean, some of us are being dragged, kicking and screaming, as you can see where the things are going crazy, but we're going to have to slow down and focus in a way we haven't in quite a while. 
We're going to have to approach things differently. We're going to spend more time on our computers. I just, you know, it is what it is, but we're going to do that. I think our gatherings are going to be smaller. They just are. They'll always be the, the renegade gang, but I think our gatherings are going to be smaller, and I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that will give us an opportunity to really listen to each other, really see each other in ways we haven't in quite a while. Even sports. I'm a sports fan, but, you know, that's the last thing I'm, I absolutely need to have in the midst of all of this. But even that, I think you'll be able to observe a basketball game or a football game for its purity in ways you haven't in a long, long time. Because a lot of that other minutia and background stuff is going to be pulled away. We'll travel less, but it will be more important when we do. I think the trips will mean more than they do right now. I think for most of us, I hope family and those connections are going to be more important now because it's been taken away. You know, you don't miss your water till the well runs dry. You don't miss certain relationships until you don't really have them. This is beautiful, but being in a room with somebody else and that, that incredible thing that happens in the air between two people, that chemical shift, that emotional, whatever that thing is, that, that can't be replaced. I think we're craving that now. And when we have it again, even though it will be smaller amounts, and for a less amount of time, we will relish it. We will relish it and be so blessed from it. Yeah. So I think it's going to be a smaller world. And I'm, I'm believing and praying that it, it will be better because we'll be more connected. We're so disparate right now. But I think there are some real positives that can come out of this. At least that's what I'm hoping. And uh, to our audience, Peter Jay is a phenomenal actor, and I have I've seen his work. He sat in some of my classes at school at, at Juilliard and, and, and was a teacher, and he's a lover of theater. And I would be remiss if I did not ask this question, because I, I'm asking myself and curious about myself in light of some new developments actually today. Mm -hmm. But the theater world, right? The Equi Actors' Equity made an announcement today that mm -hmm. two theaters will be coming back, both mm -hmm. of which are in Connecticut, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. yep. What do you think, in particular, because I know you've done film, you've done TV, but theater, what will that look like come out, coming out of this? And what do you think will happen on Broadway? Mm -hmm. Because that is a huge moneymaker in New York. Yep. Everybody travels from all over the world to come to Broadway. Yep. What, do you, what do you think that's going to look like? That's really interesting. You know, I've been a Tony nominator for the last two seasons, and this was my third season. Of course, it got cut short. And theater is my heart. Yeah, I've done some television and film, but 45 years of my career has been mostly on the stage. I think theater's coming back, but it is not going to be the same. It's going to be smaller. It's going to be more intimate. And uh, to be quite honest, I don't think you're going to see Broadway until next summer at the earliest. And even then, it's going to be smaller. I think they'll try some big stuff. I don't know whether it will, it will work because of 
the virus. That has a lot to do with where we are. And New York has handled it well so far, but I'm seeing some signs out here that people might be getting ready to go buck wild again, so I don't know. But Broadway's taken a huge hit, and I think they're going to continue to take a huge hit, and they're going to have to refashion themselves in, in, in a very interesting way because they're going to have to tell smaller stories. It's going to be less about spectacle. And I'm hoping they'll tell more human stories. I just don't know. But that is going to be the last to come back. I think theater will never die. It's going to take a while for us to get back to where we were. I think people crave that thing that happens in front of a live performance, but it's going to be smaller. And television film, same thing. It's coming back sooner, but the kinds of stories are going to be told with less people, um, less technical crews because of space. The sad part of all of that is there are a lot of brilliant people who are going to have to sit on the sidelines and find another way to be involved because it just is not going to be that much work for a while. But it's not going anywhere. It's going to have to lose some weight. Theater's going on a big diet. <laughs> but it's coming back. It's coming back. That's good to hear. That's good to hear. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we had the honor of welcoming Peter J. Fernandez today. We want to thank you for blessing us with your presence and your words. I'm sure Maxime can concur that we are always looking to not just have this as a, a medium just to be as a podcast, but we also take this opportunity to build and build relationships. And the reality is this is the way we have been building relationships the last four months and maybe in the foreseeable future. So we just thank you for your time, your energy, your wisdom, and, and blessing us with your presence. Well, I, I thank you for asking me, for thinking of me. And I just got to commend you two young brothers for what you're doing. Yes, you're benefiting from it, but it's selfless in the best way. It's important and uh, it's creative. You're using the environment that we're in right now to maintain that connection and to ask those questions that need to be asked. And just in a very selfish way, it's just wonderful to be sitting here talking with two brothers who really want to get inside the heads of other brothers out here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very encouraging. So. I commend you both, and I'm honored that you would ask. Thank you very much. Yeah, we really appreciate it. Well, you take it easy, Peter, and I look forward to chatting with you some more later. Whenever we cook good food, food that's tasty and enjoyable, most often it's pretty well-seasoned. And our guest, Peter J. Fernandez, has lived a well-seasoned life. He brings his Cape Verdean background to help us understand that gray is the way. Exploring the complexity in ourselves, in others, and in life in general. He also shares a little bit about the difference between civil disobedience now and during the 60s. Thank you for introducing yourself, Peter. Join us for another episode of Let Me Introduce Myself next week. <laughs>